1: Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. Today we're going to talk about loving and in particular about loving well because after all isn't that what we really want? I mean we've all had those relationships where we're like yeah it's good when it's good and then it's bad when it's bad and that's not necessarily what it's always about i mean yes there's life yes it gets good yes it gets bad but we just all really really want and deserve relationships that feed us that nurture us today's guest is giovanna capoza and she is incredible she's been a guest on this show before and she works with individuals seeking to understand and heal from those unhealthy relationship patterns And the past, so they can enjoy a fulfilling, safe, and healthy relationship now. She's got more than 12 years of leadership and coaching experience, along with a certification in mind body therapy, trainings through the Gottman Institute, and her own personal experience in healing from love addiction. She helps her clients develop a rock solid relationship with themselves, which is really where it's all about and helps them navigate and remove blocks to getting the love that they crave. With that, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you here. Hey, Laura. It's fun to come play with you again and and be here, and I'm honored that you have me back, so thank you. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Let's just start talking a little bit about you and your story and what led you here. Yeah, thank you for that. So... Uh, you know, it's funny. I was in, in writing my book that, that's, um, out now. I, I was going through this with my, with my publisher and we were talking about all these origin stories and beginnings. And, um, when I sat back and thought about it, I bought my first relationship book when I was in my teens. And that's kind of a weird thing. Like, none of my contemporaries were reading Harville Hendricks. I assure you, <laughs> nobody was doing that at the time. I agree. <laughs> right? And so it's, you know, it started really young. And and for me, it started because I grew up in a household with a lot of chaos and a lot of yelling and screaming, which I thought was, you know, the norm, because that's what I grew up in. But I knew that I wanted something um, good and healthy in terms of a relationship. And I didn't have that modeled for me because my parents were just at each other's throat all the time. And I also, it took me a long time It took i uh, probably into my thirties to actually register that that is, is trauma, right? That registers as trauma on your nervous system. When you grow up in a chaotic house and there's a lot of yelling and screaming. So, that was kind of my origins in that I really wanted something healthy. So obviously, Laura, you'd say, well, great. Obviously, if you bought your first relationship book when you are in your teens and you made no mistakes later on and you got it totally perfect and didn't repeat your parents' mistakes, and I'm going to say no. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how early you start reading self-help books. If you're not actually having the experience and you're not actually doing the work, then you're not really learning and growing, right? So I went through years of really chasing my tail. And I always quote that song, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places, right? And it really took for me to be on the other side of the world in Australia, hitting my relationship rock bottom, uh, being with a man who I would classify as a narcissist. I didn't then because I couldn't see it. Um, but now in retrospect, looking at all of the symptoms and signs of of that, behavior and and like i told you before we started recording it took me about two years after that relationships for me to register oh my god that was an abusive relationship so that was kind of how this all started and it wasn't a little cafe in australia after that relationship rock bottom that i had this idea come about for a book and that was after working with a coach who confronted me really lovingly and said you're an addict and i was like what am I addicted to please come on oh I'm not said, I'm fine <laughs> right I'm fine I'm totally fine and she's like no you're 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 addicted to the illusion of romantic love and I was like what and it's kind of that moment and you're a coach I'm sure you've experienced this both being a coach and being coached where you deliver that news to a client and it kind of almost registers as like oh shut up <laughs> a part of you is like no like quiet that's not true and the other part of you is like oh god that's so tr-. like something so true about that and so I had to take a journey uh, on that, you know, and I remember at the time I explored, you know, Codependence Anonymous and I started to explore if this was true. So I was, I trusted her enough to explore that. Um, and what I ended up doing is unraveling. And again, over the course of years, unraveling how true this was. And I, I, I laughed at first because I thought, how could you be addicted to love? Everybody's addicted to love. Everybody loves love, right? I'm a hopeless romantic, but it was different. It's a different kind of love. I love I call it love with smile. So that's kind of how it started. (laughs) Yeah. There's so much there. Um, first of all, I want to start with the relationship rock bottom because since this podcast focuses on, you know, infidelity and betrayal for a lot of people, that's that rock bottom. And I'm with you. I love coaching and I love being coached because it is that loving reflection of what's really going on. And so often In in anyone's life, whether it's around the love area or anything, there's so many things that we just don't want to see because if we see it, then all of a sudden we have to address it and addressing it really means uprooting our lives and making ourselves very uncomfortable in the short run. So there's that. So when you have this relationship rock bottom, whether it's infidelity, betrayal, or something else, there is that sense of, oh my gosh, I've lost everything. And now what? And that's what I'm kind of wondering. Yeah. For, for you, like when you hit that place, where do you go? What do you do? How do you start exploring it and figuring it out? And then maybe come home to a partner or to kids or, you know, to a situation where you're like, and my partner's not even being faithful, or they're a narcissist or a sociopath, like, who? how do you hold all that? And what do you do next? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's a lot there too. Like for me, my rock bottom kind of happened in a bit of stages because I was in this really, really unhealthy dynamic that had been brewing for almost a year at that point. And I remember sitting down and I had, I was working with a coach at the time and I had this really beautiful aha about myself. It had nothing to do with him. It had it was to do with me, and I I I had this awareness that I was I was playing small in my business, and I was doing it maybe because of um being afraid to lose this person, right? And so I was acknowledging this old pattern. And you know, to me, he always presented as a really evolved person and someone that was really emotionally intelligent, and I can have this conversation with um. I mean, little did I know then that narcissists are really good at faking empathy, right? They're really good at faking being woke right so i it, it happened in stages, and the first stage was as I went with him to this awareness, and we had been in a very we had been living together for three months at the time because he was in Australia and i had I was living somewhere else in the world, and I had moved there to give it a shot, and out of nowhere he he disposed of me, and I say that very intentionally because. There was no emotion. There was no anything. It was out of the clear blue nowhere. And he was just like, I'm done with you. So that was kind of the first stage of it. And because throughout the whole relationship, there was all these little moments of criticism and tearing me down and telling me that I wasn't good enough and and all of these comparisons to ex-girlfriends and all of these things that happened, I immediately went to the place of it's my fault. I did something wrong right which is where a lot of women go to right it's my fault it's my fault so i that was part of it and then we spent i i I decided on my own he told me never to come back to australia i was going home for christmas at the time he said don't come back for me and i decided no i'm gonna come back because ever the hopeless romantic i.e i'm the love addict right i was like no i'm gonna make this work i'm gonna come back because there's still hope here there's no way this could be going on yeah and when i came back um i had to confront the fact that it really was over I tried to rekindle with him and he, you know, very coldly put me in my place again. And that's when I kind of hit that rock bottom. And I hit this place where I had already, it's kind of, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've grieved something. Most people listening have grieved something, right? Whether it's a relationship, a person, you know, a job, right? It's grief is this really funny thing that it kind of compounds. It's like compound interests, right? Yeah. And you're doing just fine. And I think in that moment that, he reiterated and he confirmed to me there is no hope in hell. We're never going to be together. Which, P.S. In retrospect, thank God he did me a favor. Yeah. At the time, I still felt very disposable and and unloved, and so I went to this deep dark place of why does everybody I love keep leaving me? And at that time, my mom had died. It had been a few years. I had a relationship that burned bright and then crashed right before this guy about a year or two before. So there was all these series of losses that I guess the band-aid got ripped off and they all came flooding to the surface. And so my rock bottom was, is I was wandering, you know, walking down to the beach early one morning after having literally been up all night crying. And as I was walking back from the beach, I was contemplating swallowing a bottle of sleeping pills because it was, I was in so much pain and I didn't see an end to the pain. Um, to me, it was all about, I'm unlovable and I, I'm never going to get this right. And I felt embarrassed and ashamed that I'd gone all the way across the world and told everybody how excited I was about this person. And and this happened. I was embarrassed. There was so much shame. Mm -hmm. And just as I was having that thought and making that plan, my sister called me, she called me from Canada while I was down in Australia. And that kind of broke that spell that I was under. Where I was planning, yes, and then I had to face the fact that I needed to I needed to face myself, and so to answer your question about how I came back from that is initially I decided I'm only going to date God and I'm going to date God for a year, mm-hmm. and i'm not a, I'm not a very religious person at all. it to me it was more in the spiritual context, but I decided that I needed to date God for a year, and it's funny because I'd been carrying it around almost like a giant paperweight for years, of course, in miracles. And I had, I had started diving into it months before the breakup happened, but just very loosely. Um, and I said, I have to commit to this. I have to commit to this because it's something. And that became my anchor and that became my lifesaver. So I dove into anything I could get my hands on to teach me about the universal principles that are in A Course in Miracles, because really, I mean, you could pick up the Bhagavad Gita or anything else and it's the same, Right. right? Right. And I did, I said I was going to do that for a year. I ended up doing it for four years plus. Um, But because I I, I had to face my demons and I had to really face that I was using men and I was using romance and I was using love to fill a void, just like an addict does. Yes. And my behaviors were exactly like an addict, right? I, I put myself in proximity of him and in hopes that I would run into him and every thought consumed him about him and. And it was, it was an all consuming thing and I couldn't stop the behavior. And that is the definition of an, of an addiction, right? Yes. Yes. And it's just like when the people have like a gym addiction, when it's something positive, love, working out, eating healthy, it's so much more difficult to recognize because aren't we all supposed to want love? Aren't we all supposed to do everything, you know, to make it happen? Because that's romance. That's what all the rom-coms teach us, right? Is like the person becomes obsessed with the object, object of their affection to some degree, and but it all works out in the end. And so to me, I was just a hopeless romantic. And I oh. thought that was a good thing, right? Oh. I, because just like the gym addiction, right? It's how could love be bad for you? Except when it is. And when you, the object of your addiction or just the addiction itself, rather, is toxic to you. It's all consuming. Yeah. Your life revolves around it. How much you weigh revolves around it. What you wear revolves around it, where you're going to position yourself in, in, you know, proximity to this person or are they going to call me or like, you know, my whole day I'm in low level anxiety until I get that text message. And it was like, Oh, okay, there's my fix. Right.
0: Yeah. The,
1: it, the same thing happens in the brain of a love addict that it happens in the brain of a heroin addict. Every time that object of your addiction Um, in this case, love or the hope of love or romance, that's a dopamine hit. And you get all of those same things firing and you, you can't stop it, which is why I lovingly say to my clients, like, I'm, yes, I'm a coach, but I also, I consider myself a sponsor in a lot of ways because I'm shepherding women through a lot of this. Um, and I, and I work with women in three different buckets. Um, but the women that are specifically in that, let's say middle bucket where they're in the dating pool, Mm -hmm. And they can't get off of this literally merry-go-round. Um, They need a sponsor because we have to cut the behavior. Yes. Yes. And you had mentioned something earlier that I think is really important to integrate in here. And that's trauma. And when we're in active trauma, it's pretty much impossible to like learn. You know, it's like, totally. you can have, yeah, you can have a coach, you can have a therapist or whatever, but you got to get out of that trauma and then start learning. And and that's why I love the term sponsor because that's what a sponsor is doing. It's like, okay, I gotcha. I got one yeah. step at a time, one day at a time. Here we are. Once you're out of that active trauma, now we can start breaking it down and learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the first step, like, and so I mentioned the buckets, like, you know, my first bucket is the woman that is like, I'm never dating again. I'm just not ready for that. But I know that I'm kind of want to prep because I want it one day, but I kind of, I know I've sucked at it retrospectively, right? <laughs> That's the first bucket. The second bucket is they're, they're in the dating pool and they just keep hitting this wall of rejection or, you know, no, there's no good guys out there or they're stuck in that mindset. And then the third bucket is the relationship person. But any, at any point in any of these buckets of people that I work with, there is facing their own demons, so to speak. Right. And, and yes. you can't actually, like you said, do that work. If you're in survival, no. right. If the thing has just happened or it's about to happen or, you know, you can, it's really, really hard to do that work. And I, you know, I have a client that I've been working with now for over a year and she has just now, you know, she said it to me multiple times, but she has just now decided that she needs to leave the person that she's with. She has identified that he has narcissistic behavior tendencies. Um, And most of all, that hurts. She doesn't feel good when she's with him. And honestly, for those of you listening, that's the bottom line. I tell my clients all the time, if it doesn't feel good, then it's not good. There's no second guessing it and questioning and making excuses for behavior. If it doesn't feel good to you, then it's not good, right? So after yes. a year, like a year and a bit of her saying, you know, I think this relationship's not healthy for me. And of course, my place is not to tell you what to do. No, she's come to this conclusion on her own, but she's now at a place of, she's in that survival mode, like you said, and the trauma and the abandonment issues and all that stuff's being triggered and she needs help how to navigate this breakup. Yeah. Right. So we had to, we have to create a whole plan around how I'm going to support her around that. Because as you know, narcissists do not really do well when you confront them. No, <laughs> no, no, no that doesn't <laughs> they do well. don't like it. You know, something that you said about her and you, and I know from my experience too, it takes a while to figure out we want to leave. And I think it's very healthy to be positive and to roll with the punches and to understand, oh, so-and-so's having a bad day. Oh, so-and-so's struggling. You know, like you said, you lost your mom. When we lose people we love, we're in a bad state. And it's not about abandoning, you know, our partner at the first sign of distress. Oh, you're sick. I'm out of here. But it takes time to figure out, like, are they really just having a bad day? Are they going through a tough time in life? Or are these narcissistic tendencies or abusive tendencies or, you know, cheater tendencies? Like, what is this? It takes a while to figure that out. And then, like you said, you were embarrassed. You were ashamed. And it's, I find that so hard because I too was embarrassed. I was ashamed, but it had nothing to do with me and it would take anybody time to figure things out. Yeah. I think that comes from the fact that like women are really conditioned to be, you know, the carrier almost of the relationship. Like we're really conditioned with that nurturer where that, you know, community is a big strong point for us. Like, you know, many men, like I know, I know my, my partner now, like, I mean, I could plant him on an island in a cabin with the dog and a barbecue and he'd be good forever. Right. Yes. Um, but like women are more like we, we need community. We, we like that. So there is this conditioning around the woman's quote unquote responsibility as it pertains to the man in the relationship. Right. Yeah. The partner it doesn't even have to be a man. Right. Just right. where your responsibility is. And so there is this great deep sense of failure, personal failure, When you haven't been able to make your relationship work, it's you, right? What did you do? How did you not make this work? What did you, but ultimately, what you said earlier about it takes time. I mean, all relationships go through an up and down, right? And it's not about like bailing at the first sign of trouble. And sometimes, even with infidelity, that's if the person sincerely comes back and is like, oh my God, I really messed up. Let's work this through. Even that's not a sign to end the relationship, right? No, but it's kind of like, what? what are you willing to put up with like how much and what are you willing to put up with and for how long, for how long. Right. And so, and you really, everybody's personal threshold is different. And I think the circumstances are so different. It's really like, you can't really paint a paintbrush, you know, big white paintbrush over it and generalize, but you know, it, it can take time. And especially because if you're with someone that does have abusive tendencies or let's say narcissistic tendencies, It's very insidious. And those people, they, they, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say that it's being done purposely that they, they prey on your insecurities because I don't think it is. I think the nurse of this man that I refer to is, uh, I have a lot of compassion for him. He's a very wounded person. I don't think he intentionally goes out there to do these things. It's very unconscious because it's coming from his wounding. And, but it's, but it's so insidious. Yes. And their wounds are praying, not they personally, but their wounds are preying upon your insecurities. And so it happens in little tiny ways and little tiny criticisms. And that's why one of the main things I teach people to do is to trust their gut and trust their intuition. And if you hear a comment or you hear a phrase or something is said to you and it hits you in your gut and you're like, that really hurt or that doesn't feel right. Trust that. Yes. Yes. And like that, when you said, trust that and know how you feel with them. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's really hard to know. And it sounds silly because how do you feel we should be able to know, but sometimes there's such ambivalence. And especially when there's that love addiction, there's also that idea that as a woman, I'm supposed to be self-sacrificing. I'm supposed to take on the pain of the relationship and move us forward. It's just his wound. It's not him i am strong enough i can bear this right yeah that happens a lot and also the second guessing of yourself because there's a lot of second especially if you do have any form of love and by the way love addiction exists on many a scale um love addiction groups are usually combined with love and sex addiction which i don't actually agree with because they're they're not like not the same they're not the same and they can be completely mutually exclusive um, but I mean, you can have love addiction where you're like fatal attraction, Glenn close love addiction, right. Where you could be a very highly functioning, um, you know, successful woman person and have love addiction. Like the clients okay. that I work with are like lawyers and doctors and entrepreneurs and you would never think. And that's why there's so much shame around it because it's like, well, how can I be so successful here mm-hmm. and have my, you know what together here? But I'm completely failing at this relationship thing, and that's that's I kind of love addiction light, right? Which my term for that is love sickness. Yes, and love sickness is when you're drawing in, and 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 coping with not even coping with enduring experiences because you're trying to fill a void. Yes, yeah, yes, and and I want to like put a little pin in what you said about a lot of your clients are you know lawyers and entrepreneurs and doctors. I work with a lot of lawyers just because I was a corporate lawyer. So I know a lot of people in that area. I think actually sometimes the more successful, the more of a go-getter you are, the more that love sickness or love addiction comes in because you know inside I'm capable. I can get through this and I can do it and I can make this relationship work. Also that and also what I see as a common thread is the that void that we're trying to fill with a relationship is the very same void that you've been filling your whole life with your accolades and your success. Oh, high fives all around! Right? Yes. yes, Yeah. And so the fact that you're at that level—that's not to say people shouldn't strive for greatness. Of course not. Like strive for greatness and excellence, but is where is it's coming from? And if there is an essential not good enough or not lovable that is lurking there, and that that is fueling your ambition very often that same fuel fuels being lovesick and they don't identify necessarily as being lovesick because to them, it's just like, well, I can't get this relationship thing, right? I keep messing this up and I don't understand. And a lot of times there's a lot of reluctancy to seek help because just like me, I didn't get help really. I mean, I had a coach at the time that I had this revelation about being like lovesick. And then there was a period of time that I didn't get help specifically around this because there's not a shame. Like I'm a smart girl. Like I'm really smart, and I, I know better. Like I was a coach at the time. I was like, I'm a coach. Like I know better. Like how can I have this go wrong? And there was so much shame around it. But ultimately, that 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 little gremlin could be feeding both the ambition, yes. and the love sickness. Yes. Let's talk about that void because I have ambivalence around that because I do think everybody has a void because there's always something. (laughs) And and just like that, it can be positive, it can be negative. And the only way truly to fill it, like when you talked about, you know, dating God or Course in Miracles or something like that, it's really hard to find enough self-worth, enough connection with spirit, sometimes to fill that. But it's so important. So let's talk about that. I'm gonna say something that's gonna to sound totally contradictory, but I, I, I actually have a video out there that's that labeled, you know, self. I think self-love is BS, and the reason that I say that is not because I actually think self-love is BS. I don't. I think loving yourself is is beautiful, but there's this this misnomer going around, especially in more the new agey self healthy circles, where it's like, you know. <laughs> It's the Dr. Phil, right? Like, you're fat because you don't love yourself, right? It's like, well, okay, fine. Maybe I don't love myself enough and that's why I'm doing these behaviors. But there's this idea that you need to love yourself fully before you find the love of your life. And that's just crap Oli. because you just have to love yourself enough to be aware of your voids and when those voids are in the driver's seat because you're right. I think not enoughness and being unlovable. I think that that is a human part of the human condition.
0: Yes. I don't know
1: anyone. I mean, I haven't met the Dalai Lama. Maybe he does, Maybe not enough, <laughs> but I haven't met anyone who truly, truly feels enough, right? Like we're, we're dealing with this in various places in our lives to some degree or another. And so this idea that you have to be fully cooked before you can find the love of your life is just BS to me because, um, I got to a place of enough self-love and I would say more value of myself and awareness yes. of my value. And that's how I met my current partner. And I, I credit me understanding my value and what I bring to the table as, as, as bringing him in and drawing him in, having done the work that I did. Yeah. Do I love myself like a hundred per? No, I don't. No. I'm not perfect. No. Right. And the whole point of healing, I mean, relational trauma can only be healed in the context of a healthy relationship yes exactly so you can't heal alone yes yeah you can't heal in a vacuum um i mean you can do a lot of work in that vacuum but i mean ultimately you can't do all the work the 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 self-love and acceptance that i have gained being in this relationship that's healthy and secure and safe i don't think i could have necessarily got there completely on my own right because this is somebody that's where it's again in that healing in the context of the relationship yes yes and something else that i wanted to point out is we heal in context of a relationship because it's dynamic and it's active but we don't have to necessarily heal with the partner who hurt us you've got a new partner and you're doing this work and it's healing not only from that narcissistic relationship but it's healing back some of the childhood patterns some of the you know wounds from losing your mom from the household you were raised in. It doesn't have, have to be the relationship. It can be after can the infidelity. Yeah. After the infidelity, my husband have done a lot of healing together, but we can also heal apart. So it's yeah. just a relationship. Right. Yeah. And very often, you know, you are healing from past relationships. And if you have a current healthy secure dynamic a lot of what's happening is you're dealing from you're healing from past relationships including you know any childhood trauma that can come up because you have the container and i mean that's what coaching is all about too is like create like you know i'm the i'm the pseudo safe container that mimics the relationship that is required for you to heal a lot of this stuff right you need someone to mirror back to you compassion and safety and a place to like express all of these things. And oftentimes that is the the lab. That's the preparatory lab in order for you to, to feel safe enough being vulnerable, to trust your own vulnerability, to not look at it as a weakness, but actually look at it as a superpower and understand how and who to be vulnerable with. And sometimes when we're not aware of that and we don't fully have ourselves on board, we're trusting that vulnerability to the wrong people. And this was me with, with, uh, with all of them actually, but especially Mr. Narcissist at the end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What you said is so important to like around coaching too, because yes, I'm a big fan of, you know, coaching for for me, for other people, for everybody without who and how to be vulnerable with. Sometimes you don't know, at least I didn't know what a healthy response was like. And when you can I'll play that out with a coach, with somebody who does truly have your back, then all of a sudden something clicks in your brain and you go, oh, this is how a healthy person should respond to me. Now I see the difference. Where before, sometimes it's just a noise in your ear or something that you've read. And it's like, yeah, how does that really work? But having that coach mirror it back, then you understand it differently. Yeah, 100% because you're learning how to develop a healthy relationship and- I would say, I would say like, I was gonna say nine out of 10, but I would say 10 out of 10 of the women that I work with, and I do work with some men as well, but mostly women, um, 10 out of 10 of them are like, I really want this amazing thing, but I, I don't know where to get it. And I actually have never really seen it before. So, you know, one of the things I would say, even for people listening to this right now is, uh, get a model, right? You cannot attract something in, you can't even identify something unless you have a model for it it's kind of like you know you're sitting in your in your living room and you're like i I'd, I'd really love to you know go to tucson and i'm going to get in my car but it's like you don't have a map you have no idea what tucson looks like and you don't know where it is right you're never going to get there right so um, um, not at all not at all right you're just going to buy drive right past it so it's important to have models and i always tell people like If you don't have the model, I mean, and some of my clients come from really healthy parental like relationship examples, and they're really messed up because they're like, I don't even know why I keep doing this because my parents were great, right? But if if, if your parents aren't the model, then maybe there's, you know, some famous couple that you can imagine. I mean, obviously, you don't know them personally, and you don't know how their love life is. But maybe you can imagine what it might be. Having that model of what to look for, like you said, the model of how someone healthy should respond to you. Though those are so so peak, in you being able to identify who your person is going to be, because if you don't have that model, or you have really negative ones that you think are the norm, it's it's not going to happen. Like you're just, you're just going to bypass it every single time. Yeah, that's so important. I, I'm 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 glad that you pulled out that model too, because you're right. How do we know until we get there? And I also love what you said about sometimes people have really healthy childhoods. Yes. And then sometimes they don't. And sometimes, like in, in my case, I had a fairly healthy childhood. My husband did not. So then we're coming together and we have two different ideas about what a healthy relationship looks like. And it's interesting because there were fights around what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. And it never until after the infidelity, until after, you know, the relationship rock bottom. Did we ever break it down in terms of what's normal and what's not normal and what's healthy and what's not normal. And and where do we even want, like it was just such this mishmash of like in my house, we didn't yell in his house. Yelling was normal, but then the un- un- understanding of it's not just a cultural difference here. It triggered my nervous system in certain ways and then my responses to him when I would shut down because of the yelling was also like a traumatic response to him. So there's, there's layers, you know, it's not just necessarily even the model, although that's the most important, I think. But then it's what does that mean to you? Because silence yep. to me was a trauma response to him yelling, you know, and then my silence would also traumatize. I, it's just, it's it's fascinating all the different layers. It, of I mean, it totally is because we're relating to each other as people. We're relating to our own wounds. We're relating to the other person's wounds. Like, you know, it, the modeling really comes in like on, a, on how to attract your partner, right? If you watch to attract someone healthy, right. But you're, you're right. And for people that have had a really great example of parental relating, right. That their relationship, their parents had was great. A lot of those people, you know, have other types of ways that relational trauma showed up. Maybe their first boyfriend, maybe their second boyfriend, you know, maybe there was something that happened within the family where there was, you know, a sister and the, and the brother-in-law and maybe there was infidelity there that traumatized them. There's so many different ways that we, we, we get a model of how we think things should be. You know, I go back to the rom-com and, uh, I think that there's a, there's a chapter in my book that sort of starts off with, uh, you know, I could blame it on Walt Disney, right? <laughs> because <Yes. laughs> we kind of we're sold this way of how it "quote unquote" should be, and then we're not really set up for the realities of relating. No, so just mm-hmm. like you, like you had a different experience, and with your husband, you know, your your silence, which was your nervous system shutting down at his yelling, you know, triggered his nervous system, and he probably thought, well, she's ignoring me and she doesn't love me, right? Yes, and and this is what happens until you can actually. This is why self-awareness and having support, because there is no freaking manual for relationships. There's no. none out there. And even though I read my first Harville Hendrix book, you know, when I was like 18, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You, it, this is like, this is on the job learning. <laughs> this yeah. is, yeah. yeah. So a lot of times I laugh because I'll have clients that are coming in and they're wanting to meet that special someone. And then they do. And there's that moment where they're like, okay, we're done now um and i'm like okay and you know like you know six months later they're back and they're like i need support because of course when you're in a relationship that's when the rubber meets the road and when all the honeymoon goes down and the fairy tale fades is when you really have to deal with the stuff yeah yeah and and it's that dealing with the stuff that gosh there's so much to say there because (laughs) Sometimes people say, why do I have to deal with this stuff? I'm leaving this person. I'm going to find somebody who's healthy. Once I find somebody who's healthy, my stuff won't come up. Yeah, and it's like, that
0: doesn't work. <laughs>
1: no, because if you're, because ultimately, so I have, um, the, I have a three pillar paradigm for how I work with people and it's self source and other. And you have to have all three relationships kind of dialed in and really the way the Venn diagram works is that self and source overlap each other at the top and other is at the bottom. And that's because if you don't have those two relationships right, or at least on their way to right, and nobody's perfect, but at least if if you have that level of awareness of yourself and your own wounding that you could work with yourself, you're never going to get that other relationship right at the bottom, right? And it's funny enough when I drew this Venn diagram. If you draw a line around it, it looks like a heart, right? Because it the does. bottom half, is the bottom half is the other, right? So this is the thing though that people don't understand is like, well, I'm, I'm, and I did, oh God, I did this for like probably my entire decade of my twenties, right? It's like, well, no, I'm just this one doesn't work. I'm gonna throw that out, and I'm just gonna get yes. a new one. But it's like wherever you go, there you are, right? Like yes. it's like you can get a new one, but your stuff's gonna follow you around until you start dealing with it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and, and that's so important because same thing in the infidelity space. So many people are like, I'm getting rid of it. Cheater is gone out of here. I don't have to deal with it, but your wounds are still there. And yes, you can find a healthier person and it might not manifest as cheating, but it's going to manifest as something else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great point too, because, you know, there's all this garbage going around like forever, like once a cheater, always a cheater. And all these like sayings that people come up with and um I listen to Esther Perel a lot. I don't know if you know her, yes. right? She's awesome in this space too, especially around infidelity, but you know, it's it, if you're still char if there's still a charge in the relationship, if there's still that that thing between you two, you're actually not done yet. <laughs> like oh. you're not done learning. And now this is putting abuse aside obviously. Like if you're in an abusive yes. situation, run like hell get out, right? Yes. But if, you know, in this case a, a case of infidelity, um because it it depends because all of it depends yeah it depends because um yeah this this idea that like you just said i'm gonna get rid of him and i'll find someone else. like maybe maybe you will find someone else that doesn't cheat on you maybe but like you said whatever wounding is there in place whatever you know opportunity that that infidelity could give you to heal something is, is, is not going to be taken. Right. It's not there. Now I think when you're fully at peace and when you're like, even if there was infidelity and you get to the place where you're like, okay, you know what? I, I, I get it. I understand the dynamic. I know why you did this. I know what my responsibility was in that. I know what yours part of that was. I get it. I'm at peace with it. And you know what? I I still feel like I'm done and there's no charge." charge. Yes. then you're done. Then you're done. Right. Because yes. you're at a place of total acceptance for what is and you're not running like hell from yourself or that other person. Yes. Yes. I call a U the golden center of flaunt and a U stands for accept unconditionally. And that is that piece that you're talking about when you can just say, yes, I've learned what I can learn. I understand. And I'm done. And you're done. Yeah, you're done. And I, I mean, for me too, like I. I was with someone for seven years. We were, for all intents and purposes, minus the paper, married. We were, you know, we've been living together and we were engaged. And I couldn't leave that relationship, even though I was contemplating and thinking about it for probably years before it ever happened. I couldn't leave it until I got to the place of being at peace. Hmm. The place where I was like, I didn't want him to change. I didn't wish he was somebody different. I didn't wish things were different. I got to this place of total acceptance of like, oh. Okay. Like, I see you. Like, I see how you are. I see how this is. I get it. Okay. I'm okay. I can accept that. Mm-hmm. It's just not for me. And, yeah. and, and that's okay. Right. And you're not, does make you a bad person. Does make me a bad person. But it's just like, I got to a place of full acceptance. And then I was like, okay, now I can go. But for years, I couldn't. Right. Right. Okay. So let's talk about like, there's that void. There's the craving for love, the desire for love that we all have. There's all those bad relationships and mistakes behind us. And there's that pull. I like how you talked about self and source because we need to bring that in. What about that loneliness? You know, as you're doing that, that, that loneliness, how do you manage all of that? So funny. Um, I so very early days when I was uh, diving into this work really and I and I've been I mean I saw my first spiritual teacher who's still my mentor to this day when I was 18 um and so I'd would i been aware of these concepts of you know loneliness really being you know quote-unquote an illusion right and and it was like well that sounds really great new agey and that concept sounds lovely, but I'm so lonely. Right.
0: It's still Valentine's <laughs> Day. <laughs> Day. It's, it's still
1: <laughs> Valentine's Day, right? So, so here's the thing. When I was first diving into after my rock bottom and I was diving into all these spiritual teachings and I was reintroduced with this idea that when you're so connected with yourself, yourself with a capital S, you know, your spirit, your source, your intuition, whatever you want to call it, nature, you know, it doesn't matter. When you're so, so connected to that, you can't, you know, you can't feel lonely. And I remember first hearing that and thinking, that's just a load of horse, you know what, right? I was yeah. just like, that is just like, I don't want to hear it. I just, I want, I want me my cookie, right? I was addicted, right? So, like, I want it, right? Yeah. Um, and it was really, really hard to deal with. But actually, as I continued to do the work to connect with myself and my source, whatever that was for me, it really did take that away. It really did. And so in the moment that I was having still the hardcore loneliness, that for me, I, I had to start using it as an opportunity to not use. Because that loneliness was the thing that would have me go and take my first sip. My first sip or my first hit. And that first sip or hit might have been texting him, picking up the phone and calling a friend to, to fill the, fill the gap with a friend, right? Or, you know, getting in a car and driving to go, you know, visit someone in my family just to like fill up that void. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with connection. There's nothing wrong with wanting connection and not being alone. Like God knows we need connection. Right. But I had to get to the point where I was identifying, am I lonely, i.e. in the void Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to use again, right, to get my first hit, to get that thing that I need or am I brave enough to sit in this, pull out my journal and actually start getting really real with what's going on here and for me it was like you know first sentence I'm lonely Mm -hmm. and I'm 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 afraid I'm afraid in the loneliness I'm afraid in the loneliness because I think the loneliness means that no one's ever gonna love me and I'm afraid of this and you know I just I kept going and going so I used that as an opportunity to go deeper with the void and make friends with it rather than reach outside of myself and try to fill it with something and get that hit because that's what we do. Like we can't, that's why so many people had such a hard time during this pandemic when we're on these lockdowns, like, first of all, as humans, we need connections. So hands down, that's why a lot of us had problems. But above that, a lot of people had to confront their loneliness. A lot of people had to, you know, confront that need. And I can't tell you how many, you know, short-term pandemic relationships were formed to fill that void yes yeah Yeah. and you know it's interesting too because there's addiction and then there's also habit and I know a lot Mm. of the people yeah that I work with that find find out their you know partner has been unfaithful and one of the most difficult things is we've been together for 20 some years you know we've got kids we've got grandkids there's this just habit of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I but I, and the opportunity in that though is because in that habit, you know, relationships can either be, you know, totally codependent, they can be completely independent or, you know, the third level we strive for is interdependency, oh, right? Yes. A little bit, a little bit of both, right? So you, in that habit, when something like that happens and there's breakdown is when you really have to then still face these pieces, because a lot yeah. of times those habits form because we are unconsciously using our partner to fill stuff up. Right. Like I, I never really noticed too much of a difference. Like, you know, before I met my partner in terms of, you know, having alone time or not alone time, because I literally did four years of like alone alone time time myself. Yeah. And I had to get to the place where I was truly not just by words and, and, you know, just happy, you know, commentary, but I had to get to the place where I was truly, truly, truly okay to be alone the rest of my life. Like, if this is going to be my life, I'm totally okay with it. And I had to get there for real, not just for fake, but for real. Yeah. So when I met him and suddenly there was a lot of relating and a lot of togetherness, the first few times that, you know, he went away um, for work, I was, I had that like, whoa, this is weird now. Like, like we've been together all the time. And it yeah. still happens. I mean, we've been living together now for a while. And even now, you know, if he's home for, let's say a week, and then he's got like a um a trip and he's gone for, you know, another country for almost that time you know, there's that moment of adjustment of like, okay, wait, I had to go from we to me quickly. Yeah, Right. And that is that there's a habit in there, but there's also still an opportunity in there to reclaim those lost pieces of yourself. Yes. Right. Where you can yes. get the me time back and do the stuff for you. You know? Yeah. Because I have, I noticed when same thing, when my husband and I are separated and I have alone time, I journal more and meditate more. And yeah, sometimes you do you. The, yeah. Sometimes that silence is so healing. And you said not for fake, but for real. And I love that because it's so easy to say in our heads, no, I've got this. Oh yeah. I used to do it all the time. No, I'm good. I don't need a man. I call it misindependent syndrome. I don't need a man. You know, I am dumb. You know, that was more bravado and ego and me denying what I truly wanted, which was right. I really want a relationship, right? But but in the end, I got to the place, like I said, for real, where I was like, you know what? I I accept this. Like, I, this is okay. I can accept this. And honestly, as soon as I did that, it was a matter of weeks before my guy came rushing in. Yeah. And that is the most counterintuitive thing when I have a woman that comes to me and we do our initial assessment and we start working together and I say, can you commit to doing, you know, depending on the person, a 30 day, a 60 day, a six monthly talk. For some people, I've said, can you commit to this next year we're working together that you don't date anyone except for me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's hard for them because it's counterintuitive. Like, how can I stop doing the thing? Because that's the thing that I want. Like, you're telling me to stop doing it, but it's actually in coming to like radical acceptance of what is. Yes. And being okay with the fact that maybe you'd be single the rest of your life that actually brings the person in. I know it sounds totally counterintuitive, but that's the thing because you get to then love having a relationship with you yes. and, and, and just enjoy that. And so, and then we have to deal with the, like the loss of that when you get into the relationship with a guy, right? Because there's always that balance. And I think it's Dr. Gogman that says, um, you know, we have this conflicting desire to be autonomous and independent, but also be joined and connected. Yes. And especially as women, we are always battling the two in relationship. And that's, I mean, for me, for, I need, I still need support with that, you know, and I'm oh, totally, you know, I can't coach myself in the mirror. I wish I could. It would right. be so much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly that value of having somebody else look, look at us objectively and just point out, it's going a little off the rails here. It's going a little off the rails here. Or to pose those questions, what do you think? Because again, relationships are fluid. Life is fluid. And if somebody has cancer, it's going to go off the rails. You're going to change. Things are, you're going to be more dependent. If somebody has got six months out of state on a business thing, it's going to be more into, I mean, it's just fluid and it flows. Yeah. 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 And that's why I think it's so important to have a sense of yourself, but also a comfort with yourself and a comfort with like feeling those feelings of like, wait a second, okay, now we're apart for a bit or like, oh, well now, you know, I don't know, he's out of work for a bit and I'm picking up the slack or vice versa. And it's like, there, they're, it's so important to develop that relationship to self because those things rattle you less. It's not, they don't rattle you at all, but they rattle you less. And you can catch yourself when you go into like unconscious behavior or, you know, blaming or, or any kind of toxic behavior. It's like, Oh, wait a second. I'm doing this thing. You know, I'm projecting this out onto him or her. It's like, well, okay, what's going on with me? And you can actually do that work yourself. yeah. Um, Instead of always leaning on that person to fill something or fix something or, you know, cause that's a lot of pressure to put on the other person. It is a lot of pressure. Yeah, it absolutely is a lot of pressure. And just the awareness. And you had said earlier, sitting in the loneliness, sitting in whatever discomfort, in whatever stress, that's hard to do. And it's so important. It's really, really hard to do. And especially if there is trauma associated with that feeling, it's really important to have somebody guide you through that. And this is not about like rehashing your childhood and bringing up all the stuff. It's actually about sitting with the somatic experience of the loneliness, and and even if you can't do it on your own, having someone that can guide you through those feelings. Because as humans, we tend to not want to experience anything uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, like we go to, you know, the next person, the, the pick up the phone and call someone. We pick up the Twitter and the TikTok and the. We go to the fridge, like there's so many we go on Amazon and buy some there's so many ways that we can distract ourselves from feeling our stuff, but actually the gold is in the stuff, right? Like is feeling that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that whole, you know, in the infidelity space. Obviously it is enormously uncomfortable to feel that, but it cannot be buried. It just cannot be buried. No, no, it'll pop up somewhere else. Right. Or it'll, okay. And if you choose to stay with the person, it'll keep popping up in the relationship and then that's toxic too. Yeah. 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 And we can only control ourselves. You know, there can be potential for an amazing relationship. And since a relationship is relational, we can do the work and our partner might not choose to do it. And that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. You got to like meet people with where they're at and And sometimes I think people are doing the work their own way, right? It might not look like the way we're doing the work, right? Because maybe, you know, he's not journaling every day and doing all that stuff, but he's doing the work his own way, right? Um, It's important not to like, you know, put our expectation of how we think they should be doing the work onto them, right? But we can judge it on the results. Yeah. Yes. Such a great point. Such a great point. And as far as work too, that. Nobody is perfect and we have relapses and we default into that behavior. And it doesn't mean that all is lost. It just exactly. means we're human. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally,
0: totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: So tell us a little bit more about your book and where listeners can get a hold of it and your website and all of that good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Well, you, uh, so the book is called Love Well, Confessions of a Lovesick Woman, and it's uh, all over Amazon right now and pretty much any major bookstore you can buy it at. Um, I, you can find me on Instagram at lovewell underscore coach, and that's pretty much where I do most of my stuff. I'm on Facebook as well. Um, same handle. If you Google lovewell coach pretty much anywhere, it'll come up. Uh and my website is com, And probably by the time this airs, it'll be Lovewell Coach uh as well. Lovewell dot coach. Um just revamping that and, and changing that up. But yeah, I'm really, really excited about about the book and uh taking women along my journey to discover lovability. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for all of that. And yes, it's we are all lovable. We are all worth it. And it also does take work to get what we want. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Laura. You're welcome. Listeners, check her out. Um, I find her Instagram in particular so motivational. So that is my number one favorite tip is go hit her up on Instagram <laughs> right now today. Have an amazing week and always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough
0: tune in next time to flaunt find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer laura Cheadle every wednesday at 7 a.m and 7 p.m eastern time on syndicated dream vision 7 radio network Develop Naked Self-Worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.